Well, welcome back to our podcast. This is another episode of Me, Myself, and I, an official confession stand podcast. And I am one of your hosts, Hannah Slash Spuds. Sam Swags. Sam Swags. Sam Swags. And Sarah Carbs. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> what are we reading today, guys? I don't know, Sam. What are we reading today? <laughs> Sam hosting? Is that? Well, no. She just always reads what we're reading. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So we're reading A Court of Frost and Starlight, our little Akatar novella that you are supposed to read between A Court of Wings and Ruin and A Court of Silver Flames. We read the whole thing. It's only 200 pages. Yeah. 229 pages. Oh, what? Cars is on one today. I put it in the notes. <laughs> <laughs> She's so proud of herself after last episode, not taking any notes. She's I like, didn't I'm take gonna write. Any, I... She pretty much just rewrote the whole book. <laughs> I think I had imagined myself writing the notes, or I had dreamed that I had done it and was certain that I had, because when I looked at them, like, no, I wrote down notes. I know I did. And then... I obviously didn't. It was the co- the page was completely empty. <laughs> Are you aware if the novella is required? Can you skip it in the series? I would recommend not skipping it because my prediction, everyone makes fun of this little novella that there's no point to it. It's just a stupid little Christmas special, which to an extent it is. It's literally just them seeing what their lives are like when they're not in a constant state of war and distress and destruction. Yeah. Which is fun. I think that this book has the key to what the rest of this series is going to hold, and everyone just keeps glossing over it. Oh, That's I'm just so me. interested to hear that opinion. There are a lot of references to, like, Azrael's ability. You see the bond between Elaine and Azrael begin to form. It sets more up on what her mission's about to be. And the tension between... Elaine and Lucian too, and also kind of seeing where we left Tamlet. I think it's it's literally hinting at the rest of the series, in my and, opinion. And Cassian and Nesta, which is pro- I, I think the biggest indication of it. Yeah, I have to say one of the things that stood out to me with this book is the limited amount of perspectives learning from. I think there's only two chapters that are more, and there's a couple of Cassian, but it's predominantly Feyre and Rhysand. And I believe those are all the perspectives we see in this book. We don't see Asriel, we don't see Elaine, we don't see Lucian. Again, setting up because the next book is Cassian and Nesta, so that would make sense. But there's only one Nesta chapter. Actually, I did forget Nesta. There's one Nesta chapter. Yeah, oh, there's only one. so closed off and annoying in this book. Yeah. It is predominantly Feyre and Rhysand, and I agree with you. I do think it sets up the next book. I just know from... I wouldn't necessarily call it a spoiler that the next book is focused around Nessa and Cassian. I don't know whose perspective it's based off of, or if it switches, or... But I also feel like Frost and Starlight is the final chapter to Feyre and Rhysand, which is probably why it's mostly their perspective. I can see that. It's the last time that we're seeing the story from primarily hers, but we got little bits of Rhysand throughout the first couple books, so Mm -hmm. this is like finally closing that chapter. I remember being really devastated when I realized this is the last one from Feyre's perspective. Well, I also think that this novella is a good point for Sarah J. Mass to finally use different perspectives because everything's been from Favor's point of view. So it kind of prepared us for the next book and having numerous perspectives. I agree. I agree for sure. Because I think it would have been weird had she not done this and all of a sudden it's from a completely different perspective. You're like, whoa, wait, when did this happen where this is kind of dipping our toes in it? Right. And it's really interesting the theories about how many books are left in this universe. 
I've heard, uh, this was a while ago, so I don't know if it's going to change the bigger picture because of other things I won't reference that most people probably are already aware of. I've heard that there's a, a combo of three more books left and that it's going to be a combo of novellas and full-length novels. Was it really a year and a half since the war with Hybern? Because she said, but it had been a long, brutal winter. It was her 21st birthday. Oh yeah, so we missed 20. Yeah, we missed 20 because she was 19 when we left off in the third book. Well, 20 just must have happened somewhere around yeah. book two and three. You know what I mean? Like, Well, I think she mentioned she was in the spring court for her 20th birthday and they didn't do anything. That tracks. But Wait. it had been a long, brutal winter that had brought me so deep into the woods that day nearly two years ago. Yeah. So two years. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. This is so far from then. Because I think it's only been from when she went to the spring court for the first time with Tamlin to... When the Highburn War ended, that was six months, right? Six to eight months somewhere? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Because, well, she says two years from the day in the woods, so she shot... Almost two years. Almost two years. So she immediately went to the spring court. She was there for not long. Yeah. I think it was, what, two, three months? Uh, yeah, I think it was two months. So it was the couple months she spent with Tamlin, let's say like three, just to make it round. So let's say it was like January that she was taken. Up until like March, because that's probably when they had their spring festival, so March mm -hmm. tracks. Yeah. Then it was another three months under the mountain with Amarantha for her trials. So that's six right. months. And then I think they referenced that it was a full circle of their engagement. Mist and Fury would have lined up to about the year mark of her being taken mm -hmm. by Tam roughly. I think, I think she did mention she skipped her birthday. She last made year. sure nobody told she, she told, told nobody no one during the, whatever their the spring court solstice equivalent was. So right. I think we're almost, 20. So I think Miss Fury starts a year from A Court of Thorn and Roses. Gotcha. I think that tracks. And then, yeah. mm -hmm. and then, so it's been the war and then however long it's been since the war to this book. I would say the war kind of gave me like a summer fall yeah. timing in that. So that all tracks, I think. Yeah, so okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So Miss Fury is the first half of her 20th year. Wings and Runes, the last half. And now we're going to be 21. And Frost and Starlight kind of has already covered her, the first half of her 21st year. No, she no, has her she birthday. Oh, no, oh, she's turning 21. You're right. You're mm -hmm. right. I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. And that tracks because they talk about how she and Reese have not even been made it a full year. So that Let's give a little mini recap. So we just finished A Court of Wings and Ruin. And at the very end of that book, we experienced... A very crazy up and down war with Highburn, which they obviously won because they're all alive. Yeah. How convenient. Convenient. Um, minus Daddy Archeron, RIP. We miss him dearly. <laughs> Do we? Sure. <laughs> I miss his bear figurines. <laughs> I still have my opinions about how up and down that war was. Yeah. I think we all do. So knowing that allegedly there's going to be at least three more books, I think maybe one more novella and two more full-length ones I've heard. I will be really interested once we finish talking about this book who we think those books are going to be about, whose perspectives these last three books are going to be. So let's do a mini recap where we left off. We're kind of kind of starting fresh, almost it feels like, because yeah. so much time has passed. Um, it reminds me of Mist and Fury when there has been time passed since the previous book and when we started, we had to kind of learn stuff really fast and things that happened that we were not a part of. Like the engagement to Tamlin and the trauma and all mm -hmm. this stuff. Whereas the previous book, we left off on kind of a happily ever after. And this kind of, the novella feels a little bit like that. We just overcame a huge battle. And now so much time has passed that we're not really dealing with the immediate aftermath of the war. 
Right. Everything's kind of been slightly taken care of. And there's some stuff like the Illyrian warriors and the descent and things like that. But, but even them rebuilding, I mean, there's still a lot of Valaris that the really crumbled, the, the, the most decimated parts of Valaris are still suffering from the aftermaths of that war. Mm-hmm. That was outlined a lot in this mm-hmm. book about the attack on Valaris and how that has completely destroyed so many people's homes and lives. But you know what's crazy? When that attack actually happened in the last book, there wasn't a lot of that talk in the book, which I wish would have happened then, as they were preparing for the war and struggling to rebuild Valaris while prepping for essentially a world war. But oh. wasn't Valaris attacked twice, though? So maybe it's just the, the buildup of... Was it? it was in Mist and Fury, s- and then didn't something happen in Akawar? Yeah, technically, because the ravens came. That's and what And there it was, was sort of... I, I believe there was a group of soldiers that came in. That's what it was. They thought it was Hybrid, which is why they sent Amran out to go scope out to see if he was around, but... Hybrid was not in Valaris that okay. time. Okay. I don't even remember it was, that. It was a mini... It was not... A, they were looking for Nesta because of her power. Right. So it wasn't necessarily an all-out war on Valaris like it was in Mist and Fury, but there was enough chaos... Yeah. ...caused by them looking for her. Because remember, Rhysan and Cassian were off taking care of some sort of trouble. I don't remember what it was. And that's and, when they ran into Briaxis under mm-hmm. the library. library. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. So, yeah, in my head, I guess it was just the culmination of it and them not being able to focus on rebuilding because they were going into battle mm-hmm. on top of how badly just destroyed it was in general. I have a bone to pick with this book. Do I'm tell. <laughs> <laughs> Can you just guess what it is? What is the most infuriating thing for me about Sarah J. Mass and her female characters? I think I know what it is. What is, is it, it? The Carmen? painting. Yes! Oh my god, it's the fucking painting. It's so Dude. dumb. And now she has to, she gets like offered a studio, but then she has to go to an abandoned studio and paint because she's too shy and weird and whatever. I hate it. I hate it so much. I have two things because we were talking about the battle in Valaris. Did you remember Racina? Because barely. Barely. Okay. She was just tapped on. Wait, was she referenced she, before this book? That's what favorite. Wait, briefly, I'm pretty sure it was yeah. when she was walking around Valaris one time, but it was such an insignificant moment. No, she was, remember, in the attack with the adder, she was helping fight off people. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Like, it was such a brief yeah, moment yeah, that, that was, was very insignificant. Yes. Like, you would never remember yeah, I'm sorry. That, I misunderstood. <laughs> I thought you said that, like, she passed Favorite at one point. No, no, no. Like, like, when she some. was in Valaris. <laughs> It was one of those, like, passive characters. So passive. Honestly, like, I vaguely remember her from that book. And the other thing was, I mean, speaking about the painting and stuff, because we meet Racina. Racina is encouraging Feyre to paint again. And then she tells Rhysand about it. And he's kind of being pushy about her going to paint again. I got a little triggered by it. Were you? Like, he's not really listening to her. She's obviously, I don't know, like, I, I'm not sure if I'm ready for that. Or it has to be the right building. Or, like, she's making these excuses. She's obviously still working through her trauma with it. And he heard her, but he wasn't listening, I think, is what bothered me about that interaction. Yes. Their whole relationship bothers me. In this book. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. They get so cringe in this book. I don't know. It just, this book was not it for me. I issue everyone was annoying in this book nesta was annoying fair was annoying reason was annoying the only people who weren't annoying were more elaine uh, elaine 
Elaine didn't bother me in this book. This is yeah. the most personality we see of her. Right. You know what's so annoying, though? So, like, I agree. Nesta was such a brat this whole book. Recent has a huge problem with Nesta not helping Pharaoh when she was a human, but he doesn't have a problem with Elaine. And he literally is like, but Elaine is Elaine, so it's fine. It's like, what? I have a theory. I have a theory about that. I think it's because Nessa does not want Reese to have any control in her life. Like, she doesn't want to be part of the inner circle. She doesn't want to... He has an issue with it. And he has a major issue with it. And that is just... That is my theory about it. Because his whole grumpiness to how she behaved as a young woman is completely unjustified. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. He has no right, in my opinion, to hold that against her. He wasn't even there. But also to not have it for the other older sister. Right. It doesn't make any sense. Just as compliant. Compliant. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it's a control thing, personally. I think he's really bothered by the fact that Nesta will not live with them. Them, will not hang out with them. She's not wooed by his generosity. That's me, but and it's probably like salt in the wound to her working through whatever's going on with her and Cassian on top of it all. That it's affecting like essentially his adopted brother, right? Yeah. On top of not being able to control her, like he cannot even help. Yeah, he's not even doing. But you know what's so funny? Like I understand that, but it's also kind of a double edged sword because like. Although Lucian is not, like, his brother and stuff, Elaine is being really standoffish to Lucian, and he has no problem with that. But the moment that it's his friend, he's like, whoa, you're being too rude to my friend. (laughs) I also made that comparison between Nessa and Cassian and Lucian and and, uh, Elaine, because we have Nessa and Lucian are kind of acting very similarly in, in different ways, whereas Nessa's avoiding everything. And... Lucian's avoiding Elaine. He's not staying at the house. And that's what bothers me about him. He's not even trying to, I don't want to say encourage her, but just to make himself more known to her, make her more comfortable around him. I thought it was the opposite. I thought he was being overly respectful of the fact that she was going through a bunch of stuff. I think that was what it was at first, but then I think what happened is... It shifted. It shifted in this book. Take, for instance, when the first time she sees him in this book, she was super excited running to the door thinking it might be Nesta and a solution. And you could tell, you could see that excitement and drop, but you could feel that happen in the book. And I feel like that is Lucian interpreting Elaine as you're not what I want. You're not what I need. How do you blame me And I think there's an entitlement to Lucian when it comes to Elaine. I feel like he's upset that she doesn't naturally want to come to him. I think and, it might be confusing, though, because they're mated. Yeah. And, you might have conflicting feelings about, like, what he's supposed to do. Because there is that entitlement of, this is my mate. Mm-hmm. But I think he's also bad. I think, I'd be mad, too. I feel like, Sam, you're going to say something that's going to bridge bridge the gap on this. Like, Because I'm, I'm torn, because I agree that I feel that there's this entitlement shift to Lucian that happens between Wings and Ruin and Frost and Starlight, and I can't tell if he's mad that he feels that entitlement towards her or if he's just impatient with her resisting him. I realized reading this that they're both going through an identity crisis. I think that's what the shift is. Like, Lucian doesn't have Tamlin anymore. He doesn't have a home anymore. He doesn't have a place where he feels wanted 
or needed. And that is why he's been spending the majority of his time with Jurian and Vasa in this band of exiles, Which little I group love. they have. No, I love this for yeah. him. I think desperately what Lucian needs to do is go. Like, I think he needs to find himself. I think he needs to figure out what he wants and who he wants to be without Tamlin, without Resant or Feyre or Elaine dictating his path. I think his identity crisis is so subconscious down to the fact that he doesn't know who his father truly is because he has been thrusted wholly into the autumn court lifestyle when really half of them is day at the same time. So it's no wonder he didn't stay long at the autumn court. He didn't stay long at the spring court. He's not comfortable in Valaris. None of those are actually at his core as home. Right. Well, and, and he's always been lost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And likewise, Elaine is mourning being a fae now. But you know what? I don't sympathize with Elaine so much anymore because in this situation, yes, sure, like she needs to mourn being a fae and her engagement and stuff, but she has such a support system around her that Lucian does not have. Well, I think that's why Elaine is doing better than Nesta, comparatively. I mean, she's cooking, she's getting close with Caradwin and Nuala, and she's gardening, she's... But I meant in relation to Elaine and Lucian. Well, yeah, that, that, absolutely. I'm just saying, in general, I feel like Elaine, we're, we're, Sam said we're, she's talking more. She's interacting with the inner circle. She is interacting with Feyre. This is the most we've heard her talk, I think, in all of the books she's been featured in. So, And I think maybe the trauma of her losing her human identity is something that she connects to with Asriel, with him being denied his Illyrian heritage until he was a young boy. He didn't learn how to fly until he was, what, 11 or 12? Mm-hmm. So he is, like, also kind of has that shift. All three of them really do. They have that duality and that struggle in coming to terms with who they are based on the circumstances they were handed. I feel like Lucian's going to be the tragic character that somehow dies in this series. Oh, no. <laughs> I have that vibe, just how he's written. It, he's like, you know, there's always one character that just never wins and is tragic from beginning to end. I feel like he's that character. I'm not convinced him and Elaine are going to be mates. You know what? Reading this, I agree with that. And it's not because I don't want, like, I'm all for the mates to be what they need to be. But something is not, at least at this phase. And it's still early. It's only been a couple months and Faye lived for hundreds of thousands of years. So there's like a fraction on that. But as of right now, I just don't see how this is going to turn around. Right. But you know what's so funny? Lucian and Elaine are legitimately made for each other with how complacent they both are when they're in a safe space. That's literally like what they both need in their lives is that complacency. I think the problem is because of their identity crises that they can't find that in each other. I I know. Yeah. Like, I agree with that. It just makes me sad because they're yeah, like their personalities are perfectly written. It wasn't until I read, because I was very much for Elaine and Lucian. It was not until I read this book that I'm like, it's not going to happen. Like, and not today, at least. My thought is, like you said, they're going to live for hundreds of years, God will, or cauldrons willing. Maybe once the dust settles and they're both a little bit more complacent in what's going on with their lives and more accepting of their conditions... Yeah, I think they could come together. I mean, a part of me really wants Lucian to be reassuring with Elaine and tell her that she doesn't have to feel obligated to him. But he did do that. Did he? 
Yeah, he did it in the previous one. Yeah. You gotta give Lucian more credit. I know you don't want to. <laughs> no, no, I do. I was all for Lucian and Elaine until this book. I'm leaning more towards Asriel and Elaine in this book. They see... My dream is that in the upcoming books, one of the books is Elaine and Lucian from the different perspectives. Totally different stories. He somehow ends up the new High Lord of the Day Court and, like, through fate, she refines him. Yeah, I like that idea. I like that idea. And That's... sees him as, like, the true Lucian. That's the only way I can see them being together truly mm-hmm. is if he if he finally learns his true identity, comes to terms with it, and embraces it with Helion. Otherwise, I don't see him and Elaine working. I agree. The other reason why I think Asriel and Elaine, or Asriel has such strong feelings for Elaine, is because they're both dealing with unrequited love. I'm so curious how she'll feel about Elaine and Asriel after Silver Flame. Well, now I'm scared. <laughs> I'm. After Silver Flame, I'm still Elaine and Azrael. So. Okay. I personally have a feeling they are not going to be a huge part of Silver Flames. I think compared to all the other things that are being set up in this book, Feyre and Rhysand's relationship growing, Nessa and Cassian sort of, my hope is bridging the gap or fixing what's there. And we've also got more on our own in the next, just going on our own, doing our own thing right now, which I'm very happy for her. I definitely want to see her more independent. And I feel like the inner circle is kind of toxic for more. I really don't want her there. I hate to say it like that, but I I I really, I don't want her there. I don't want her that close to her dad. Like, because now he's going to be coming up into Valaris. She's not With Eris. Right. She's not going to feel safe. I do want to talk about the whole Eris flashback. Because we are pretty much there. I do think that Asriel and Elaine will not be a huge focal point of the next book. That is my prediction on that. But I liked seeing their interaction. I liked the Christmas gift that she gave him. I thought it was super funny. And they seem to just... They're just calm with each other. It's just it's very calming to see the two of them interact. Exactly. I like it. And I think it's going to be hot. Yeah, so I thought we could get into a couple of Moore's chapters and talk about what happens between her and Eris and what we think is going to happen to her later in in this series. You know what's so funny? It's so hard. I hate reading Moore's chapters after seeing Mads Official's painting of Eris because Eris is so hot and I love it. (gasps) He looks really good. (laughs) And so like rereading it when I get to those chapters, I'm like, Marvel, he's so sexy. <laughs> I have such a hard time because it's in a flashback when we read exactly what happens between her and Eris when she has the nails in her stomach. Oh, and I know. I was cringing. I did not like that. No. And just reading about how he's like, no, leave her there. The minute we touch her, she's our problem. But then Eris has implied in book three that there are two sides to a story. I acknowledge that. I cannot imagine what could have happened before that moment for him to think that that was okay. I'm all for it. I'm ready to get the rug ripped out from under me in regards to this Eris Moore debate of their past. Because I'm sure there's some type of redemption twist coming with Eris. I am not going to buy it until it's actually given to me. Oh my gosh. What if one of the books is Lucian's point of view and also Eris? That would be a good book. I think the whole don't touch her, she's our responsibility was because he was afraid of what his dad would do to more. I think so, too. I think that would have been way worse than leaving her there, which is awful. But 
I that is my theory is I think in his own twisted way this was the only way he could spare her from more pain because the way that it's written to me it's not like he was like screw you or well yeah. I actually yes he did never mind but I feel like it was a ruse. After hearing him talk about, like, there are two sides, I feel strongly that this was a show and that this was his only way to prove to his father that he didn't care and that his father shouldn't be getting involved either and that he's handling it and she's just going to die in the woods. I also think that with that whole situation, Eris, I'm curious to know what he did after the fact and whether or not he got someone to send help for more later on. I think so too, but Asriel's the one who found her. But I think he could have done kind of like the telephone or whatever and like sent Asriel on this task, like through telephone people being like, hey Asriel, we should go look at this thing. Or or him getting a command to go do something. Right. I'd be so interested to know what actually happened. Yeah, I think there's more to it. I genuinely do. I do too, but I'm going to blindly be on Moore's side until I'm proven otherwise. Oh, I don't think what Moore went through was right in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> she is the victim here, not Eris. I just don't think Eris is as bad as we think he is. Mm-hmm. I think that he's been raised in a toxic household where he sees one thing, but you got to give him credit that he is willing to change and see a different perspective and knows how screwed up his dad is and he doesn't want to be like him. Yeah, it's become very clear that Eris has learned the errors of his ways mm-hmm. or that he's starting to understand the ramifications of everything and that Eris and Lucian are the only redeemable brothers from that group of children. Yeah. They're all like freaking awful. Yeah. I'm so curious to know if like Lucian goes to the day court and Eris, say Baron dies or something and Eris takes over the autumn court how that relationship will pan out. I think that would be really healthy if we have some... Oh my god, what if the plot twist is Elaine ends up with heiress? I'm putting my foot down, no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even think heiress would do that to his brother. I certainly hope not. Well, I Hot also butter. don't think any of the women that we currently know should wind up with heiress based on Moore's history, no matter what. Yeah. I don't think even if heiress is part of her rescue in that sense, that she's not aware of, I still don't think she could ever forgive that or forget that behavior and she shouldn't have to no i don't no, no i don't i don't think she should either she's like Farah's probably never gonna forgive tamlin rightly so but right. you know what it is you know what i like about this dynamic it is one of the few relationships where sarah j mass is not gonna put a bow on it i think so too and it's real mm-hmm. it's real and you could see why no one's really the winner in that situation because it's more complex than kind of some of the things that have happened Poor more. I'm excited to see what she does in the next book. I think it's going to be good. I hope it's good. I She really needs... She's kind of like Lucian in, in the sense that I really want her to have something to look forward to and something positive. It's so nice that she has her own home outside of the townhouse in the House of Winds as opposed to Cassian yeah. and Azrael just bumming off a resand. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I feel about all that. No, uh, Cassian said he had a home in... Illyria. Oh, well, yeah, I wouldn't want to live in a tent either. I would have a house up there too. <laughs> Sorry. That's the bare minimum. But that is like such like a bachelor thing. Like yeah. thinking about it, like when when he isn't in his home in Illyria, he's literally crashing with his best friend who's now married trying to have a baby. Like, come on. Yeah, he's kind of a freeloader. He's like an <laughs> uncle. He's like a deadbeat uncle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Azrael's 
Uncle's on the same side of it, but Cassie is the you most vocal more right like now. Beat dead Uncle. <laughs> you know what's so funny though with Cassian because like everyone thinks he's the hottest guy ever. And he's the best personality, but if you, when you put it into like reality terms that he's bumming off of recent, you're like. Wow, that is like the guy you should never date. <laughs> These are the guys that we're rejecting on dating apps yeah, successfully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if they have wings, though, it's mm-hmm. good. Makes it all better, right? Just we like I just I just imagine Gatsby with like a beast mode shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Like a gym bro. <laughs> like a gym bro. Oh, so you mean like Hutz? Yeah, that's a little bit. That's a grumpier Cassian. No, we know. Because, yeah, yeah, Hutz is definitely a grumpier Cassian. <laughs> like, Cassian is, like, has a, such a more easygoing personality versus Hunt. Mm-hmm. Hunt is so broody. I think Hunt He did... is. He's the combination of Cassian and Azrael. Azrael, yeah. <laughs> He's got like the look. They had a baby. Yeah, he's like, he's, got, he's got the looks of Cassian, but the smolder of Asriel. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> Cassian and Asriel had a little baby, and they named little it angel baby. Little <laughs> angel baby. <laughs> oh my god! My gosh, can you imagine? Oh, that's um, too funny. Yeah, so Cassian bumming off of Resand is like the funniest thing to me. And then complaining about the bed because mm-hmm. they don't have enough room in their house now because Reese is a made it up man. I don't know how we're gonna segue to this, but can we talk about the snowball fight? Oh, oh how, yeah, it's so stupid. How I love so stupid dumb. it is. They've been doing this for five hundred years. You know what's so funny? It was endearing to me the first time I heard it. The second time I was like, these stupid boys. <laughs> I do love that they, like, grab him while he's eating breakfast and basically kidnap him. They're like, it's fine, don't worry, we'll we'll bring him back if he survives. See, like, I thought it was a bachelor party or something like that. Yeah, it definitely had that, party. That, that vibe to it, for sure. <laughs> and, of course, like, I love that they can't use magic, they can't use flying, and it's, like, it's a legitimate snowball fort. <laughs> so stupid. I love it, I hate it, I love it, I hate it. But speaking of snowballs and such, we should talk about the overarching event that is happening throughout this book, which is the winter solstice. Which Christmas. Is, which we is, had no clue where you're going with that. I love yeah, this. Yeah, I know. I didn't <laughs> yeah. Just like, speaking of snowballs, <laughs> Christmas. It's Christmas. <laughs> I thought you were talking more about, like, well, I did. I thought was was blue balls in the sauna. That was the best. I, was, I thought you were going to do something sexual, too. These are smut books. Okay. I mean, yeah. I don't look at snowballs and think of Christmas. I, I think do. Snowballs and sexual tension. Oh, I do. <laughs> there is no sand on this universe. No. But it is, it is Faber's birthday as well. The good old 21. The good old 21. On the, on the longest night of the year. Shocker. Why does she always have cool stuff? Like, what is it about Feyre? I'm pretty sure I say this every single episode. What is it's, it? It's the Bella Swan effect. I, who knows? I think you've said that in every episode yeah, when I say that. Yeah, right? It's just too. the Bella Swan. Yeah, it's just, she's not that great, but yet, just constantly good stuff is happening to her. People want Mine her. is sir. Starving and barely and the surviving. Games and the Beauty and the Beast episode. The first, you know, 18, 19 years of her life. It's fine. Yeah, but still. The side I <laughs> just gave you. <laughs> you have killed somebody. <laughs> Please, I chopped wood for years. Don't go there with me. She comes back to Maine and is a little jealous that some beast didn't kidnap her. Yes, I am! I am! Fine! I mean, Tamlin's still single, girl. No, thank you. Oh, speaking of Tamlin, though, we should talk about him. Wait, we didn't finish our thought about this. Some, oh, well, you almost didn't want to be the whole time. <laughs> oh, we call, me, call me Samurai. 
again. Or Sam. <laughs> when did you don't get to make Cars one? What could she be? Um, then I, I only gave Samantha, which you cut. She started. I'll be. The I just ca- thought it was. I'll fun. be the carb reel. <laughs> no, because <laughs> the cereal's cool. Fine, I'll be the min guard carb. Min word. I'll be the villain. I'll be the gross, ugly worm. <laughs> she should be a child of the blood. I'll be the carver instead of the ant. The carver. <laughs> the bone carver. Bone carver. <laughs> oh, this is so great. <laughs> so stupid. Oh, who would mine be? Bryax Spud. <laughs> That's a cool character. I'm not like that. <laughs> no, because also that character's in full black, like you are all the time. That doesn't count. Oh yeah, I am Braxis. Braxis. <laughs> like Helian, but Spuddy. Uh, I heard that as like Jurian. Oh, hey, I'll be your daddy. Yeah, you could be. You could be Jurian. You could be Spuddyian. Spuddy. I love Jurian. Yeah. Sometimes. I I want to remember him, right? Yeah. I want to see him in the next book. I did one of my first TikToks where it was like, "Who is your mate?" And I got Jurian's eyeball, and so I put it to the music of "I shall call him Squishy, and he shall be mine." That's funny. So. Every court celebrates winter solstice, correct? Like, that's the but, summer well, court. Oh, that's right. Not the summer court because they do summer solstice. And that's... that's Shocker. <laughs> but that's it. They do it twice. There's two summer solstice. That's what oh, I thought right. he said. Yeah. And the I winter don't... court does it for like a week. Yeah. Straight. like Can you imagine going to winter court during winter solstice with like ice sculptures and like polar bears and sweaters and just giant fountains of hot chocolate and booze? Like, didn't they send like cauldrons of mold wine everywhere. Like, That's your, my dream. I wish I was like, I actually was like, Sam's gonna be rolling on that stuff. My goodness. But this is a really... We know what court you belong to now. <laughs> this is a really intimate time for the inner circle, which is great because we know from reading the first couple chapters of this book that they've all been kind of doing their own thing. Nessa's living on her own. Lucian's been living on his own and going to the spring court quite a bit. Elaine's been doing cooking, spending a lot of time with Caradwin and Nuala. And Moore's also been going off her own every now and then as well. Asriel's Asriel. Cass has been spending most of the time at their Lyrian camp. So they've all been kind of scattered lately. So this will be the time that they all come together and spend this time together. I mean, to be fair, Farah and Rhysand kind of like need this moment to finally be kind of a married couple. Oh, truly. It'd be really weird if everyone was hanging around 24-7. I mean, truly. And of course, Amryn, which we've had <laughs> <laughs> struggles with being a human. Am- Amryn's oh. bit, like... I just really put in perspective those first three books of her, and now, like, she's dwindled down to this, like, basic high fae is the funniest thing. I love it. I just keep thinking about, like, that girls don't poop. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my god, Amber was that girl. (laughs) She can't eat blood anymore. Yeah, she can't eat blood. (laughs) The the concept of digesting the food. (laughs) What happened? Maybe that's so why funny. I relate to Amarin so much. Maybe I am the Amarin. <laughs> <laughs> and now that I've gone to treatment and have to eat food again, it's like, oh, God. <laughs> My body does this. Yeah, and this. I don't like this. <laughs> this is awful. We do know Relatable. that... <laughs> <laughs> we, we do know that Amarin and Varian are still together. I do love that. Which is mad cute. Do we get a novella about Amarin? Do we want a novella? I want one of her pre-Printhian world. I am 
feeling that Amberin is so much like a Ron Swanson? <laughs> where like, <laughs> like her book would be pretty minuscule. I don't see a very long book from her because she's so straightforward. Dude. And then, uh, so we see a lot of shopping. We see... Dude, were you guys super underwhelmed by the gifts that Resand gave Feyre? <laughs> the painting supplies? The painting like supplies, a scarf, and a satchel. Well, he did give her a townhouse or a plot of land. I'm not counting that because, well, it's the fucked up thing is that is this exactly what Talon gave Feyre? I was just <laughs> going to say that! I was I just going to say that! Oh, full circle moment. <laughs> I don't like just clicked for me in this moment. Oh God, Reesan, what are you doing? Well, like, she didn't even paint Sam, but she's deep. She needs art supplies and some painting. But from the right high lord, I was so disappointed with it. I thought he was gonna buy that art studio thing for her. I know that was my. I was banking on that. Not these underwhelming scarf satchel paint kit. Like and like you said, this is the same stuff. That Tamlin got her. I or mean, gotten her those things and like, oh, there's one more and then show her the art studio so that right. it's like part of it. Right. I would, honestly, it would have been more climactic if he just did the whole dick in a box thing. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that idea. I think she, she, she probably that actually like what it I was expecting. I mean, I feel like what's the most important thing is that they're together and they're alive and they're with each other. Like, that's the best. Their whole, and them deciding on children is very confusing to me. Yeah. Because at first, Farrah's like, I want children, but not for a long while. And then all of a sudden, but, she's like, you know what? Let's have a baby right I, now. This is what I want to do. I've been so serious about this for the past 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> and how we finally learned that you can only conceive twice a year because right. fae periods are every six months for a couple weeks or whatever. Oh, yeah. We have that whole pointless chapter about fae periods. I feel like that's going to important though i have a bad feeling that knowing that the periods are so intense for Faye, and maybe they're worse for Feyre. i mean it's hard to say because she does come from being a human so who knows what intensifies it her being a human or her not having these over 500 years to sort of prepare and yeah. go through it as a young kid and build up to it so who's to say why they're so intense with Feyre, but I mean, she'd be knocked unconscious to get through her period, which- Don't most of us wish that though? I'm just saying that's not, that's not a common thing. I wouldn't go into a hospital and be like, okay, I'm about to start barbecue sauce phase. I don't need to go <laughs> under. Yeah, <laughs> My ears. I'm just saying, you wouldn't normally go to a doctor and ask to go under when that happens. It's awful, but it's not that bad. And I'm trying to imagine how horrible that would be. And it makes me feel like if that's what periods are, pregnancies have to be a thousand times worse. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm concerned about Feyre's decision with this, and I don't think it's going to go well. Or, or she's gonna have like a horrible miscarriage. But also, so even though they can only conceive twice a year, they live forever. What's the rush? Yeah. Maybe build your house first. My thought was since Resan's been waiting for her for 500 years, maybe this is like, well, he did wait for me, even though I didn't exist for the past 500 years. <laughs> I was nothing but a baby. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, she feels. I love how she's guilted into having a baby for him earlier. That's how I viewed it. I don't think that's what he did to her. I don't think Resan has expressed that. So I found out that when Sarah J. Mass was writing this novella and 
A Court of Silver Flame, she was actually pregnant. Oh. Yeah. She talks about it. Baby. Um, and so I think a big transition with Farah was she wrote what was going on in her own actual life. Wow. And that's why it was a brash decision. Right. I mean, I don't mind. You know, we did see the Bone Carver in the last book, and he presented himself to Farah as this young boy who looked like Resand and him. Back from talking about the Bone Carver. I mean, the Bone Carver. Carver. <laughs> Where like or oh no I'm not even gonna go because like my last name is Carbono so you, I could also do Carbone Carver no <laughs> which is stupider but the Bone Carver it makes way more sense <laughs> um okay yeah so we want to talk we talked about periods we, talk, <laughs> we talked about pregnancy we're let's move on to more exciting stuff let's more more exciting stuff no you know what we do need to talk about is Resan going to see Tamlin. That's next on the list. It's it, We don't have a good segue. We segment. have to. We have to. I don't want to. We have to. Daddy has to. So when they go to visit the Hewn City that as a formality, Eris is visiting Moore's dad, Kier. And that's where he skillfully drops the hint that Resan needs to go and build bonds back up with Tamlin in the Spring Court. And that is because when Reese gets to the Spring Court, it is desolate. It is unmanaged, dying, falling apart, disheveled. It's not in good place. And there's no one really there. It's just Tamlin. And Lucian is in the vicinity, but we don't see him in the Spring Court. And also, Reesan remarks on how there are these huge claw marks on the door, which could have been from Farah screwing him over, but also from just Tamlin's horrible temper. Yeah. So. But in this moment in time, do we blame him now for how angry he is? No. I didn't really blame him from the get-go. Oh, I did. I've had a change of heart. Listening to that episode and remembering the trauma that we talked about that Tamlin was dealing with from his history, from seeing Farah die... From this sort of fragile mentality he had about her. And then the guilt and shame he held about, like, what they did to Reese's family. And now Reese has his beloved. Of course, guilt, shame, all of that spun into fear. It made him do some horrible things to get what he felt was the right thing or to do the right thing. And now we're here. I mean, and he... Did make amends as best he could. He saved Feyre in Highburn's war camp. Mm-hmm. He also provided a little bit of his power for Reese so that Reese could come back. Not for him, but for Feyre. They also have to now because they want to scope out. It was a two care. for one is that they kind of went under the guise of it being winter solstice. But they're like, we need to check, keep our friends close and our enemies close. Right. But also wasn't a deal that Kier, because he aided in the battle of the war, which we didn't actually talk about in the previous episode, in the last book, that he offered his soldiers if he could come to Vloris. Yeah. That isn't happening yet. I know that's on the table. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what this meeting was. I think that had to do with the side heiress buddying up to Kier. Mm. And that suspicious, like, alliance that's going on, because they don't fully trust Eris. Right. Because he had, he blackmailed the night. Well, and, and Asriel, we do see in one of the chapters, Asriel is the one who informed Reese that Eris was going to be there. So like you said, it's a two for one. They wanted to keep an eye on Kier, but they also knew Eris was going to be there to provide any 
updates. And as skillfully as he could, Eris did drop a major hint that Baron, his papa, was considering expanding into human territory via the Spring Court, which we know is right up against the once was wall. I don't understand um, how you even think it's possible for him to do that. His court is so far away. But Talon doesn't have any defenses anymore. Like, he's... I mean, honestly, it's like leaving the door Baron. wide open. Hilarious. I was, I was. I didn't catch that. I was like... It's not Baron, it's Tamlin. <laughs> this is Patrick! <laughs> Point proven. <laughs> I just think that Baron wants to take advantage of Tamlin's... Being kicked while he's down. Yeah. Abandoned realm. Yeah, exactly. Quite literally abandoned once Reese gets there. Yeah, so Reese goes, he does tell Feyre that he's going, and he gets in the spring court, and it's bad. It is... Not kept. The roses aren't really in bloom. Well, nothing the, is yeah, in shape. Like, nothing's nobody, in shape. There's nobody there. Everything is just kind of destroyed. You can see claw marks all over the walls from where he, in fits of anger, has just destroyed the manor. We thought it was desolate before. Mm-hmm. Now it's just, it is essentially an abandoned manor with Tamlin. And it really reminds me of The Beast. Mm-hmm. Pre-Bell. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I just was thinking about that. Yeah, it kind of reverses mm-hmm. of the Beauty and the Beast story yeah. in that sense. It's but like, we already talked about the parallels of Beauty and the Beast, that we think that Tamlin's the prince and that Rhysand's the beast, and it's actually the opposite. You know, one thing... Well, I didn't think that, because when we talked about book one, we talked about it being based off of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. And now it's just reversed in the sense that the story's backwards, where the Beast did lose the woman. So one thing I've always theorized, especially about the Disney Beauty and the Beast version, is that there was another woman before Belle. And the reason why I theorize this is because they are very, very cautious about, you'll notice this throughout the beginning of the movie, do not tell her there's a curse or a chantic spell because of the bias, because she has to genuinely fall in love with the beast. If she knows that there is a curse, she could just say, I love you, and it won't work because it's not genuine. So she can't know about the conditions of the curse. So the point I'm trying to go off of this is, I believe strongly they know that because there was someone before Belle. They learned the hard way. Right. The genuineness well, of it. So and in the spring court, he openly admits that there have been other humans. Well, I'm just saying, like, I think that Feyre is the other woman. Oh, like, yeah. I th- I, it made me feel like we're setting up Tamlin for redemption. Just seeing all of this like this. Yeah. That, that was my feeling about it. I struggle. I'm all for a good redemption arc. That's not the issue. I just don't see how she can make me change my mind on him at this point. I don't know, but she's a clever one, that Sarah J. Mass. I'm open to see how Sarah J. Mass will do that. If she goes down that route, I would be open to see that. I don't know if I care too much about Tamlin for a redemption story. Yeah. I also felt the same about Kale, and Sam loves that book. I love Kale so much. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Justice for Kale. Um, I that's a throwing glass, right? That's mm-hmm. a glass. Okay. So what happens with Tamlin and Rhysand's interaction this first time around? So, it's so bad. It's so bad. So Lucian is there. He's in the vicinity, but he's not at the manor. So 
Raysan shows up and he's smirkiness as always. Did you find it odd that he's like, I'm going to summon the smirk? And like he was talking about how he's trying to pull in these characteristics that make him so quintessentially Raysan. But it's so stupid now. Yeah. He's blown his cover. People know that he has Valaris. They know that he's not a horrible dude. Yeah. So it's weird that he's still putting on that front. Right. Do you think it was just to get under Tamlin's skin? That was sort of how I was thinking about it. Why? He's already broken down so much. And he's won. I mean, I hate to say it like like that, but he won. He got Feyre. He got his mate. He survived the war. I genuinely think that Rhysand is just that petty. Like Feyre? No, the, I, the more I read these books, like, you guys are a horrible match in heaven. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, I think it really is the pettiness. Yeah. Okay. Well, I could see that. It, it almost just seems like, it's funny, because we're starting to see these personality traits as what they really are from an outside point of view, whereas when we're in it with Feyre and Rhysand, we find them charming, and they yeah. know the truth, so you kind of get the behind-the-curtain look. And now that the curtain's pulled back and everyone knows, it's weird that he's still playing party tricks. There was a part of me that thinks that Rhysand's knee-jerk reaction is also like, people see me as the bad guy, so I'm going to be the bad guy. I don't even think it's necessarily the mask anymore. Maybe it's like a reaction or just like an effect of needing to have to wear that mask for so long. But I think it's more in defense of Thera now that he was doing it because he wants talent for what he did to Thera more than anything else. Do you also think that it's somewhat just Rhysan looking at Tamlin and thinking that he really did get what he deserved after everything from their history? Yeah. It did feel very much like karma came to cash in and I'm just going to gloat over this. There was that vibe. Well, he essentially does say that eventually. He says, you deserve everything that has happened. I think so. And the humbling thing is Tamlin actually acknowledged it and agreed with it. The second time it seemed that he owned up to it the, after, the, the second meeting after Reese's gloating yeah mm-hmm. this one to two different meetings so this first one was Reese and inquiring more about Tamlin's state of why aren't you protecting your estate not necessarily they don't get into Feyre at first it was more political and Tamlin of course is like, do you see anybody here to protect? Yeah, you did this. Yeah, like, your mate, the woman I used to love, completely screwed me over, and now I'm defensive, and now you think I can just defend this area and the humans? Yeah, I and, have nobody. And Resand offered, I mean, in an insensitive way, he's like, dude, I'll just give you Night Court. And he's like, I don't want any of your ilk, which that was that word. Yeah, he's like, I don't want any night court ilk on I don't I just love that word. On my land. Because also think and, of how degrading that is. Yeah. You're like, you come to mock this man when he's at his lowest and then be like, Well, I'll give you some of mine. Yeah. To, well, so you can do your job. But can you imagine? So Tamlin had Feyre. Feyre left Tamlin for Rhysand, and now Rhysand's people are covering Tamlin's butt. That's a very... That's pretty degrading. Yeah, I was, that, was, that was the exact word I was going to use. That's kind of bad for Tamlin, and I never thought that I would say that. I do, too. I, you know what's funny? He's done a lot of terrible stuff. He was just very naive in a lot of his actions, and... It's really sad. I didn't and, enjoy reading that section, and I really didn't enjoy Rhysand kind of rubbing it in his face, because it was kind of like, it was below the belt. Yeah. Really below 
it wasn't necessary, and it was very much out of spite, and that's not a good look on Rhysand. Well, and as retaliation, Tamlin kicked out Lucian for good. When Lucian came back with their dinner after Rhysand had upset Tamlin so badly, Tamlin sent Lucian back, and he sent all of his stuff back to the Night Court, too. He completely cut off that relationship, 100%. Rhysand's gloating indirectly affected Lucian in a way that, like, then they were barely getting along even after Wings and Ruin because Tamlari felt betrayed by Lucian wearing the, the Night Court clothing. Lucian's trying to build that bridge, and it was just... Well, we also have to remember that when everything went down after the Cauldron incident and Lucian saw Elaine and wanted to come back with him, like, there was no conversation between Tamlin and Lucian. So it was already a huge break in the brother bond. Well, and I, you know, I never thought of that, too. Like, how Lucian must have felt with Tamlin not supporting, not, I'm sorry, not saying that he's not supporting his mate, but... It's not like they were making any efforts to get Elaine, even though Lucian had done all of these things to get Feyre. But you also have to remember, Tamlin didn't have the power to do anything because he doesn't have any soldiers or anything left. But he had Highburn's connections at that time. Barely. He was Highburn's little pawn. Highburn was not going to send him soldiers to go grab Elaine. No, I don't think so. No, nah, I mean, I think that's fair. I... And Highburn's focus was on Nesta over Elaine anyway. If they were going to do an infiltration, it would have been for Nesta. I mean, that's what they did with the Ravens, so... Right. When Elaine was taken by Highburn, it was... A pawn to get Nesta. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The whole section about Tamlin just, like, really is kind of depressing. And I remember after reading it, I just didn't feel good. And it, like, actually brought my mood down reading it. And it was hard for me to go from that to, like, feel-good chapters. Mm -hmm. Because it just seemed very unfair. Yeah, it did. Because I, I feel like this was just one of those things where Resand also had to make it known that, I mean, he is indebted to Tamlin in a sense. And I think that bothers him. And I think that was another reason why he wanted to be perfectly clear about this stuff. I mean, he wouldn't be alive today if not for Tamlin. Well, and Pharaoh wouldn't either. Yeah, exactly. So... Which is kind of weird. You think that they would be even by now. Right. I would think by now they're even. So I, why I is know. he gloating in his face? He's a, he's a jackass. But it's funny because then it makes me wonder seeing him after he's kind of come out from behind the curtain and wondering how much of that persona actually was slightly resand. From when we first knew resand to now? From what the perception was. Like he was so good at that character and I wonder if... There's that saying, like, a lot of excellent actors are great at their characters because their characters take pieces of their true self. And I'm wondering if Resand was so good at playing that kind of farce because parts of those were actually his mm-hmm. deep down personality. There's some underlying truth. truth. Yeah. 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 But that he finally was able and comfortable and willing to show those sides safely and under the guise of it being a mask. Yeah. yeah. But now that the mask is pulled, the fact that he's still doing it kind of proves that some of those were actual tendencies that he had or mannerisms that he had. Yeah. I think at the end of the day that he was just doing it to defend Feyre, that he could put aside all of his stuff with Tamlin in the past, but what Tamlin did to Feyre was like the final nail in the Tamlin But that's so weird. This is after the war. If it was before the war, I would understand. That's fair. Like if it were right before the war, but the fact that he helped get away now. From the King of Highburn. He helped save Farah. 
He helped save Resand. This is an attitude that I would have towards Tamlin post Cauldron, which was they screwed up his court. They did a lot of damage. It yeah. wasn't like they didn't do anything. Yeah. But like after all of these things, especially the fact that Favor and Tamlin have made peace with the letters and what he said to her. Like, I want you to be happy. And she says, I want you to be happy too. Move on. Yeah. Just get over it. Well, and this is the whole thing. And you have thing. bigger issues. And this is the whole thing with Nessa, too. That he's holding Nessa accountable for how she treated Feyre before he even knew the both of them existed. Yeah. There's something inherently wrong about Rhysand's processing. Maybe he just wants to be mad to be mad. Like, just to yeah. have something to... But how does that make him any different from Tamlin? Uh, His is just more meticulous anger petty. and petty versus Tamlin's explosiveness. And I think, in my personal opinion, I hate Tamlin's anger more because it is scary. Mm-hmm. But Rhysand is so conniving with his anger yeah. that I don't think it makes him any better. Feyre just fell to- for another anger. I mean, definitely a vengeful man, for sure. And then we see Tamlin again a while later. Obviously, the aftermath of that meeting was Lucian getting kicked out for good, which I think, personally, this is sort of a good thing. Although this did demonstrate, again, how Lucian has no home. I think Lucian needed this. I think his indebtedness to Tamlin made him feel obligated to him as a friend. And to fixing this relationship because Tamlin came to him at a time of need and he was trying to do the same for Tamlin. So with Tamlin officially kicking him out, it did free Lucian to make his own decisions. And I think even though it's kind of cheesy, I think this whole band of exiles, I think it's a good start for Lucian personally. I think it's a good start, but I also wonder if Lucian coming back to the spring court was also him trying to rekindle his bond with Tamlin and not knowing how to, and Mm -hmm. kind of like being a ghost floating around trying to figure out how to navigate that. And I think that he's got so much stuff going on with not knowing how to navigate any relationship. And so I kind of hate Tamlin for sending him away, Mm. but I also kind of pity Lucian because it's just like another closed door. Another thing about Lucian is I do think there's a self-sabotaging nature to him when it comes to his relationships. Like, for instance, with Elaine, I think part of his anger towards Elaine or his just impatienceness with her, I do think not only does it come from his sort of desperate need to be loved, but also the fear of, well, if I have someone special, I mean, we do know that Baron and Eris know of Elaine's existence. So maybe this is his weird way of indirectly protecting Elaine. If she doesn't like him, that's a good thing. Yeah. If Tamlin is going to kick him out, that's a good thing. Because I feel like sometimes Lucian views himself as the black sheep. Well, because he is. I mean, he is. <laughs> but you know what? Like, he, he's his own beautiful snowflake. He really has stepped up. He's proven himself to be a... Um, resourceful and loyal person. If he wanted to get into the night court, he totally could and sort of make a name for himself there, but he doesn't want to. He wants to make his own way. I I don't think he could. You don't think so? No, I don't think that they would ever be accepting of him the way that the inner circle works with kind of like their toxicity traits. I think it's very hard 
to get into the inner circle. Yeah. And I think the only reason why even Elaine's in the inner circle is by association with Feyre. Mm-hmm. And Feyre is only in it because that's her mate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Rhysand is the High Lord of the Night Court. Because, look, Varian's not in it. Yeah. Yeah, but he I don't think he really strives for that either. And I always feel like Amran is in the inner circle by proxy, not by choice. I think that they need her, and that's why she's yeah. in there. I think that they don't really... She's just included because... It's I not think she's yet. included because they need her at certain yeah. times. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting now that she is just a high fae, mm-hmm. that she doesn't have much more say in the inner circle because they don't really have much use for her anymore, mm-hmm. which is kind of a shitty trait of the inner circle. I mean, like, obviously her and Nesta were close before then. Like, they had this instinctual connection, and that's sort of, like, there's power within that's just right below the surface, and they both connected with that. Um, And both had their prickly exterior personalities with that inner turmoil. Right. I think they both just see through everyone's bullshit, too. I think so, too. They're notorious for calling people out. You could look at Someone could say something to Amber and Ernesta and tell them they're a bitch or whatever. They'd be like, yeah, I am. You know what I mean? Like, they're yeah. just very upfront but, about that. But they're like, yeah, I'm a bitch, but you're also a backstabbing, like, yeah. dishonest. Hypocrite. Hypocrite. <laughs> you're also a liar who tells your family you love them and then goes behind their back and self-sacrifices yourself. Mm-hmm. You're also a nosy, pointless painter. Like, tell us how you really feel. I'm just saying, like, I just, I strongly agree with you that there is this sort of, I don't want to say contempt, like, I want to say mild contempt yeah. with Amron and Nesta because they won't play by their rules. They don't and, fit into the mold. Right. And Amron and Nesta are constantly like, I'm drawing this line because you're the toxic one, not me. But it's like, interesting because, like, literally, they valued Amron when she was otherworldly. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play devil's advocate, though, and just remind y'all that the Bat Boys and more have literally exactly 500 plus years of history. Amron came much later to that. Well, so did Feyre. I feel like Feyre's like a little sister to someone in the group. That they're going to entertain her, but they're not going to give her the full scoop. I mean, it's not like they're like, okay, let's sit down and talk about our 500 years of history together. They're not giving her that insider knowledge. You know what it is? The difference is they want Feyre to be part of the inner circle, so they put an effort into her being part of their history. Mm-hmm. Like, even if she doesn't know, they are comfortable explaining it and getting her in it and being mm-hmm. like, this is why we're this way. We want you to be part of this future history and stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas they don't really do that with other people. Right. They don't even really do that with Elaine. Yeah, but I don't think Elaine is also expressed an interest in it either. Sure. She, she, like, in this book, I feel like, if anything, she's wanted to connect more with that inner circle than ever. I feel like she wants to connect more with understanding her new role in life. More so, I I think in more of a generalization, not necessarily, I don't think her objective is towards the inner circle acceptance. I think it's a more well-rounded generalization of finding acceptance with her current circumstances. And you know, it just really bothers me that Rhysand has a problem with Nesta, but not with Elaine. She's very complicit in how like, Feyre was treated. He doesn't mind Elaine being around because she gardens and cooks. And doesn't, like, stir the pot. I wonder if it's that sort of, like, maternal behavior that Reese is sort of overlooking. Oh, the misogyny of it all? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he doesn't like a woman who's not going to stay home and breed with him and cook and do gardening. I'm telling you, it's that control stuff. (laughs) It's so... Yeah. No, I I mean, he's like... I don't 
mean to shit on. I do like Resand. I really do, and I love Feyre. It's just like this book. I don't know. It was so much I th- after everything else that just happened. I think with this book, it gave us an insider view to them. Like we're not seeing them with the stress of war and making difficult decisions. We're seeing them making day to day stuff, and we're seeing this sort of inside view. We're like, oh. These are some pretty gray characters. They're not as like Intense. we like yeah, like we've seen them make difficult decisions. We've never seen them make dumb decisions. I mean, we've seen them make dumb, we've seen fair make dumb decisions. But I'm just saying But it like, can be masked by the stress. Right, but it can be masked by the stress. It could be brought on by the stress. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't think through this right now. I'm gonna make this choice because it feels like the right choice right now. Whereas this is a more calm down situation. And we're seeing how they respond in their day-to-day life. And it's like, oh, I know how the sausage is made. Yeah. Kind of like that. It's sort yeah, of sort and of just on a pretty plate. Right. But it's also, we're seeing these characters making these dumb decisions, not in stressful situations, and not only from Feyre's point of view. Yeah. So True. now we're not seeing it with the stars and sprinkles in Feyre's eyes. You know what I mean? From yeah. Valaris lens. Yeah. <laughs> the Valaris lens. The Valaris. Her star-colored Citrus and sea. I'm pretty sure I've said this in other podcasts about the same series that she's 21 and I think back to when I was 21 and granted I had a lot of life experience from a very young age and I think that maybe I didn't live the typical life as a child into adulthood and had to grow up really fast so I kind of relate to that aspect of it and still knowing at 21 I'm sure I was dumb as rocks I never made a great decision but also there's that creepiness of recent being alive for so long and having so much knowledge and the control that he has kind of freaks me out because she's so much younger than him he talks about Cassian for a minute. Mm-hmm. He, he like has this moment of clarity where he's like, I'm 1,500 years old and Feyre's 21. <laughs> and she's so young. But it freaks me out because he's so controlling. Yeah. So that's kind of creepy to me in the sense that I don't, I don't even want to get into There's something sort of... I feel like there is this attitude when it comes to Feyre and Reese where he doesn't quite take her so seriously and I think it is because of that age difference like she'll sort of express where she's coming from or express a frustration and he kind of brushes it off in that like sly sort of resand way resand like innuendo way like you know it's funny because then she totally acts like a 20 year old one year old and does it anyway i think what bothers me about resand and Feyre is that i feel like resand when he wants to distract Feyre from some sort of thing she's struggling with or frustrated about it will be always sex driven i was gonna say he just whips it out and yeah it's always some sort of innuendo or suggestive sort of thing which i understand this is smut but i feel like yeah 21 year olds just want to bang all the time like Mm -hmm. and i feel like knowing that and I don't know, it feels like a manipulation story. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. But it's funny because they also have so many endearing moments. So I like, I they feel, do. I feel like I have a hard time figuring out what I like out of the relationship and what I don't like. Because sometimes like when I first read it, I was like, this is amazing. And then like rethinking about it in a different light, I was like, oh, I don't know if I like this. And then like rereading blogs and stuff and seeing other people's opinions, I was like, oh, whoa, this was not how I interpreted it. But now I can't unsee those perspectives. I think because Akatar is such an introduction into the fantasy romance thing, and especially with these like really big age gaps, what I've personally come to is that 
when you read these books, you're like, oh, I like this character for me. I like this character for like, whatever when it comes to the people that you're reading about and the book boyfriends and stuff. And I finally grew past it. I was like, I would never be able to tolerate fucking Resand in a relationship. <laughs> but it totally works for them. And I love and appreciate their dynamic together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not anything specifically I think is necessarily healthy or that I would want or like whatever. But it clearly works for them. Yeah. And I think that's the only thing that helps me get through it because I will. Because I could nitpick them all day too. But I, at the end of the day, I want to. Remember, it's a book and enjoy it. I feel the same way about Nesta and Cassian, though. Like, I started rereading some of Silver Flame, and there's some moments where I was like, I can't believe when I first read this, I was like, oh, this is so exciting or whatever. And sometimes I'm just like, wow, they're like the worst people ever to get together. Mm-hmm. I Don't come for me. I, we could get into, and I, I'd love to get into Cassian and Nesta right now, uh, because we're getting pretty close to that. But there is something about them now that is a little frustrating for me and i because i know you've been saying a lot that ness is really annoying in this book and i had so annoying i had this moment where i'm like it's nesta's turn because first we have Feyre having a mental breakdown and then we have elaine it's nesta's turn to have a mental breakdown and that is what's happening in this book like does she have a mental breakdown well i don't know and i think this isn't clear and maybe that's what silver flame is being set up for i don't know if her behavior is because of her father dying is because of her exerting that much of that power and it's drained her in some way or it's taken from her in some way or the fact that she has something creepy from the cauldron inside yeah or if it's something that's growing within her or if we talked about this last time with the Wings of Ruin. Or if she's just embarrassed that she showed so much of herself to Cassian. Like, if you think about it romantically, I think they could have had this dumb back and forth, will they, won't they? They could have had that for 300 years. And they skipped to year 300. Like, they went from all of this, like, really slow burn to high burn throwing kerosene on that shit. Yeah. You know, and they're now confessing their love and we're like, we're going to die together. And they don't. don't. <laughs> <laughs> and it is so awkward. It's and like that you have a really great date and then you say goodbye and you have to walk in the same direction. Yep. <laughs> That's essentially, that oh, is a that perfect is description Perfect of description of Super that. Super awkward. I was so disappointed when Cassie was talking about, I mean, I thought it was funny, but I uh, was talking about how I'm guessing they're her father's house mm-hmm. after the war with Highburn. She need him in the balls. I'm guessing. Have you not read that chapter? It, it wasn't in Wings of Ruin. But no, it was a bonus chapter. Oh, I didn't read it. No. Yeah, that's, that's a bonus. Like, Sarah J. Master wrote out that chapter. Now that Can we've gotten to it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, send that to me. I want to read that. I didn't know that was a bonus chapter. And it's so great. I'm not going to spoil it. it. Chef's kiss. I didn't realize they made a reference to it in this book until rereading it. I did not know that. Okay. Uh, Yeah, definitely send that to me. I want to read that. But... Is there anything else in the bonus chapter that you can divulge in? Or is that the big thing from it? It's uh, just further... Oh, you haven't read any of the bonus chapters? (gasps) Ooh, this is going to be fun. Rereading it. Nessa started kind of warming up to me in book three, which I wasn't expecting. She's really obnoxious in the first book. She's standoffish, as you'd expect, in book two. And it's like, she's working through her trauma, but she's stepping up and helping everybody. Like, it was really cool to see, because that's scary. 
like clearly she's got fears and anxieties and she stepped up to do what she needed to do in three and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. And so like you see her step back and you're just like You were so close. I was rooting for you. Yeah. The Tyra Banks meme that yeah. I, we were rooting for you. And I'm just like <laughs> the Tyra Banks meme. I'm sorry. Yes. That's exactly that. how it is though. Yeah, that's a total that's a and really so good it's like so it's just like we were so close. It does feel like that. Yeah, it does feel like we were so close <laughs> feeling. I was disappointed too because like you said, Nessa was so so cold, and she just was warming up. And you know what it is? she's a rabid dog in the street that you finally get to come out from under the house, and you're about to grab it, and it just bolts back under, and you're like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> it bites you on the way back. Yeah, she had to start all over again. Yeah. And we can, and I can totally see Cassian's frustration with that. I mean, yeah, he essentially got ghosted and, and <laughs> eating the balls. <laughs> well, that was a while ago, but mm-hmm. yes, that's the most action he got. Well, I, you think that he would just kind of give up though? Nah, no. I like the challenge. He's so stubborn. One of the things that we haven't gotten into yet, Cassian meeting Emery, which is a Illyrian shop owner? Or she was the daughter of a guy he knew? She was the daughter of a shop owner who passed away, right? And And she inherited it, yes. Yeah. And she's a clipped Illyrian, so she's a, a female with the wings, but she can't fly. They, they clip their major tendons of the women to keep them grounded to breed. Yeah. Uh, a theme in this book, I guess, is breeding, huh? And there's this cute little moment, and I marked it, where Cassian is seeing in Emery a lot of Nesta traits. Like the Nesta, I'll kill you look, or the or he's like, and he has a sort of catalog of Nesta. I love it. Oh, he, like, he looks at a rock and is like, that's the color of Nesta's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but one of her faces is I'm reading Smut Not All and Cassian and Now. I like, want that. I want that tattooed it. on me. <laughs> <laughs> I did highlight that. Oh, oh my gosh. Man. Can you imagine? Oh my gosh. But just seeing that and knowing what we know, I, I do genuinely think Cassian is not going to give that easy. It did seem fruitless at the end not at the end of the book but after winter solstice when he chases after nesta and he tries very hard to get her to open up and he's doing the thing where he's being persistent i guess and trying to get her to talk to him he wants to give her a winter solstice gift she will not accept it. She doesn't want anything to do with it. He chucks <laughs> he it in chucks the ocean. It into the river. Yeah, to the river. <laughs> what do you guys think it was? Do you know? We do. Oh, so you guess what it is. You guess what you think it is. Eh, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> is it something I've seen? Is it something I know? No. Oh, so it's something I wouldn't know about. It's something personal to Nesta, but that trait of her has already been touched upon. Is it a bookmark? <laughs> <laughs> A, a nice it one? was small, right? Is it the heart of an angel? I'm trying to think love. Trying to think what she likes to do. The only thing I know she likes to do is read. Like hobby wise. Is it like a little tiny library? I'm not telling you. What's tiny and like book centered? <laughs> is it cute? Uh-uh. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was so underwhelmed by reset. I don't have faith in whatsoever. <laughs> Last guesses, because I do want to talk one more thing about Cassian. Is it Jurian's finger? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so I'm sticking with bookmark. <laughs> Take that. Can I just say though how like 
we got a little glimpse of Cassian and his upbringing with his mother <gasps> before yes. he was taken away. And then also how triggered he was seeing Emery's clipped wings because he is the one person fighting for the Illyrian women to join their ranks. And they are having such a hard time having the women fight and train and stuff. Fucking Devlin. He's the one that's making it impossible, and then the girls aren't willing to step up either. Because they're scared. Right. I don't blame them. But I also don't want my wings clipped, so I don't know what's the lesser of the two evils at that point. Go train in a dark cave. Away from men. What an admirable guy, though. We love Cassie. Oh, Cassie. Yeah, when he met Emery... He bought, like, all the clothes in her shop and then told her to divvy them out to the people in the area. That were going to be struggling most for the the solstice storm. What a guy. (laughs) But he can't afford his own house. What are their winter celebrations like? So we're just Christmas. Yeah, it's just Christmas. (laughs) Let's get real. It's just Christmas. It's just Christmas minus Santa. One thing they did talk about in the beginning of the book that I did want to touch on very briefly is the rebirth. Do you guys remember that? Oh, yes. Where it's, you have to sit in the dark for like 24 hours to meditate on the creation of light, like coming from... To appreciate by sitting within darkness for a certain amount of time. Sounds awful. Well, and Reese will not do it. also just like my normal day. (laughs) Is that because you wear black all the time? No, also I get burned easily. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. (laughs) I was like, They talk about how Greasan would not do it. He does not like this tradition. Which is really funny coming from the Night Court guy. Well, I thought thought at first too but I thought maybe it's a trauma or trigger thing that's what I'm thinking with Amarantha yeah I just I just wanted well she would like lock him up and cage him up and stuff Mm -hmm. why wouldn't she leave him in the dark Mm -hmm. that's a fair point yeah you know I just don't have much sympathy for Rhysand right now yeah, he was a dick about the whole Tamlin thing. I'm not I'm not going to lie about that. But yeah, what's your solstice gifts? So the gifts that I remember them exchanging, and Rhysand did tell Asriel and Cassian they did not have to get gifts for Elaine and Nesta, which was- They a, didn't even know Nesta was coming. Yeah. The, because she was just getting drunk at bars. Right. Sleeping around. And, oh, that's so sad. Uh, we know that Cassian gets more lingerie because she specifically asked. Their relationship's weird to me. It's fun. It's weird. It's kind of weird. Especially I, since they're kind of brother and sister. But that makes it creepy. Yeah. I, well, I mean, everything about the inner circle is toxic. Like, that's just a given. <laughs> I don't like this sort of flirtatious behavior that Moore and Cassian have. Especially since she's because of Asri- more interested in women. Yeah, well that and Asriel's their good friend and obviously they boned and I don't know I feel like that would be hard for Asriel to watch even from a like a nonchalant joking standpoint. Yeah. I mean, it's third wheel. It's, it's tacky. Yeah, yeah. it's and tacky. It, I agree. That was my point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it is very tacky. Um, and especially when more would get jealous of every time Nesta and Cassian would talk. Right. And there's it's also... like, girl, you're stringing both of them along. And you want she, your cake and to eat it too. She reacted too when Elaine, like, she tensed up. And Feyre noted that the Feyre more tensed up when Elaine gave Asriel a uh, winter solstice gift. 
It's because more this is Moore's little bubble where she doesn't have to deal with the realities of her trauma from Eris and her family and has to cope with being bisexual, preferring women. Mm-hmm. Which, I'm sorry, it's still really going to bother me. Like, there's nothing wrong with being bisexual. Like, I wish that she was either bi or just lesbian. This, like, bi-preferring women thing. I don't know. I mean, bi-preferring women is still bi. It's too convenient. That's the problem oh. with it. It's not inherently the problem. That's how some, what someone prefers. It's the convenience of it to lean against Azrael that's bothering me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Make like sure she that- prefer she is bi, but only for men that aren't Azrael. <laughs> yes, I think, yes. That, that's, that's literally what, what it. Yeah. That's what it reads, and that's what annoys me. No, I get that. <laughs> she's not she's going to be inherently attracted to every man or every woman. Like, that's not what she gets. sex with Halion and Cassian and all these other guys and stuff. But she's by minus Azrael. Minus Azrael. Yes! That's what annoys I me. I honestly always thought that Azrael should be asexual. He yeah. definitely has that vibe. But I really... kind of got insult vibe. You think little. so? Yeah. See, I'm not crazy. You think it's because of how angry he gets when Eris, like, when anyone says anything mean about more? It's like the low-key entitlement to more. Like, oh, look at me. I'm so unworthy. Like, she doesn't like me. Woe is me. But she can't be with anybody else. We're just ruining all of these no, characters. No, I, 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 I guess I didn't think of it that way. I think after the High Lord meeting, Azrael has not been as preoccupied with more i've noticed sort of a distancing there Mm -hmm. and there's more focus on elaine that's just me but i maybe i'm reading into it too much i think what bothers me about asriel is him to grow up the way he did and then he finds this brotherhood with cassian and resand and the only thing that he could do to be useful in this relationship is to be Resan's secret lackey to kill people and be the spy master and do everything behind the scenes. Like, I don't know. I hate that they're feeding into his, like, instead of trying to get him out of the shadows, they're like, no, 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 you're really good in the shadows. You can stay right there. We like you in the shadows. Like, that's so funny. You know, If if he, like, has some instance where he all of a sudden becomes a man of light, or whatever, and they don't have use for him. I wonder how much they would care if he was in the inner circle. You know what I mean? Kind of like the Amron effect. I'm sorry, just like imagine Ezra like walking in with like a white tunic, like a cult leader. Like, here I am, my I children. Found my voice. He's become the leader of the children of the blessed. Azrael the blessed, or Azrael the great. All of his blue gems turn into yellow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. Okay. You but know what, but you know what Azrael needs? You know what he really needs? A good old Prozac. <laughs> or a Zoloft. I thought you were going to say getting laid, which he probably uh-huh. does too. Yeah, I, well, I, that, I was going to say, I thought you were going to say relocation. <laughs> but you again, know what? He needs to go hang out with Lucian and they need to find it to themselves. Yeah, because I agree with you. I feel like if Azrael to be like, I want to do this. I think this would make me happy. I think they would challenge that. And I think they would convince him to stay where in his lane. Yeah. And that's what I hate about his dynamic in the inner circle. That's the vibe I get from it. Yeah, they, and they more, advocate. More would be the first one to be like, don't do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Is the worst part of it all. Right. The, the for everyone but Ezra. She wants to, like, 
I definitely get the sense from War that she wants, even though she does not want Asriel, she wants him to stay where he's at. I think they're actually mates and she's rejecting the mating bond. I honestly agree with that. Really? Mm-hmm. I think that if anyone's going to reject the mating bond, it's a more Asriel thing and not an Elaine Lucian thing. I think I I, I think Elaine and Lucian, I think one of them's going to die. I think it's going to be Lucian. I think you're I think right. I think, I think he's the super tragic, tragic, that tragic dude. Win. I'm very nervous about Cassian because there was a comment in, I think, the third book yep. with Elaine. Yep. And they were like laughing. I was just like, no, it has to happen. And I was just like, what? I think that Nessa and Cassian are going to die together in like a blaze of glory. That's how it has. They can't, one like, can't live without they, the they They're going to go out Bonnie and Clyde-esque. Yeah, I, I, I could see that. Fader and Reese and are obviously going to die together because they made that stupid fucking pact. But I think it's going to be really dumb. Yeah. Fader like, <laughs> and Reese are going to die dumb. Nessa <laughs> <laughs> and Cassian are going to die on fire. <laughs> Lucian's going to die because he's tragic. Elaine's going to probably be the doormat who flowers a garden and like somehow it ends up back with like Grayson. Lucian's going to die because he's tragic. Elaine's going to live because she's tragic. <laughs> good story yeah i know i mean i think a part of it is just trying to prepare for what is to come because i think knowing sarah j moss it can't be good so it's like i need to know who to mourn now or i'm not gonna be i'm gonna have to quit my job because i'm just gonna be but you know what with sarah j mass you're never gonna have to mourn anyone because she keeps everyone fucking alive <laughs> that's true if amarin's still around yeah why is amarin still here how? I thought you liked Amber. I do, but I don't get it. That's not a good <laughs> story. Just because I like her character doesn't mean I believe she should be here still. I hate her and she should be dead. Because she <laughs> needs to learn the essentialness to poop it. But she, she learned about love when she said that to Varian before she went in the cauldron and she shouldn't have come back out. But she didn't know how to poop. <laughs> Oh. We needed that. We needed that. You know what's sponge. so funny? That's also a thing in an eating disorder clinic. <laughs> we celebrate poops in ED recovery because a lot of us don't get them. <laughs> All right, the, I'm in on tracks. No, I get it. I yeah. We got Samarantha and Bone Carver over here. <laughs> and bone, I'm just the Spud Bone wheel. Carver. <laughs> Spud Noodle? Is that what you no, said? Spud Reel. Okay, I didn't just say that. We all agree we're going to be villains. That's why I'm the Bone Carver. And she's Samarantha. I wasn't like, oh, a monster equals spuds. Not wrong, though. Oh my goodness. So the big things are... We're talking about winter solstice. Big gifts are that are notable is Feyre gives everyone a painting, gives Resand a painting of her. <laughs> she's, she's so deep. <laughs> she has no other choice. <laughs> she's like, I don't know what to get anybody. I've got millions and millions of dollars. I'm gonna paint. <laughs> I'm gonna pull it out of my soul. <laughs> But she does give Resand her, um... <laughs> I just remembered she doesn't like red, how did she paint like Lucian? What? Her hair, she doesn't like the color red. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's just like, <laughs> bald. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> like fan party color points. <laughs> It is worth noting that Rhysand's picture is of her bees from their Auroboros. Yeah, Auroboros. That's what I said. <laughs> Which, like, what a dumb gift. No, I like it. It's, is she based... She only have all the things in the book you can like. You like I'm just saying I get it. I'm not saying I would want it for myself. I'm just saying... For that relationship, I think it makes sense. I just made you a really cool painting. We should hang it up in the baby's nursery. It's a representation of her... Of how terrible she is? Yeah. It's like this deeper sense of herself, this deeper, uglier side to her. I just love how she paints it. It's like, this is a reminder for the rest of your life. What I really am. (laughs) Can you imagine if she was like, this is me. And it's a monster. (laughs) I want you to have this. And so I think that's a wrap for this episode and this book. We are moving on to book number five. Book five, the fourth novel. The next episode we will be recording is going to be A Court of Silver Flames, chapters one through 24, which is the first part. It's pretty meaty. So we're going to take a little bit of time to read this section. So we will see you next time. And... uh... Get out of here. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram at confessionstand underscore podcast for any show updates. Feel free to give us a follow on our Goodreads, too, to see what we're currently up to. That link is in our bio. Bye. 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 Bye.